0: Or listening to the running public from marathoners to mud runners we all have the same goal get to the finish line faster that's right this podcast is for you guys the running public
1: all right bracken who do you think is more nervous for this weekend you or me
0: <laughs> it's gotta be you Because I don't have any nerves for for this weekend. (laughs) None? Unless you're referring to the long run we're going to do. I may be
1: getting at that, yes. You made a funny comment to me the other day. I think it was after we got done recording our training Tuesday. And I told you that I'm going to hit a quality session on Friday, the day before you arrive, which is still my plan. And then we'll just go for a nice fatigued long run on Saturday. And you told me, You said, great, because I'm going to be fresh. I'm going to be taking my pre-workout. I'm going to be wearing super shoes, and I'm going to bury you, or something to that effect. Yeah. Is that still the plan?
0: Yeah, everything is going to be about you this weekend except for that run. I am going to (laughs) put you into the dirt.
1: Oh, okay. So you're not nervous for it. You're more looking forward to it.
0: No, of course that's not going to be the plan. But I do think it's very telling about where we know our fitness lies, that you're totally comfortable running a big quality session the day before going out for a long run with me. I know that's not your intent, but you wouldn't do that if, say, I don't know, um, Tyler, German had asked you to go for a long run the next day.
1: But I asked you.
0: Right. And your plan is, I'll soften myself up with a quality the day before.
1: No. My hope right now... Look, I'm looking at my Strava, and I'm calculating the time on feed I need. I took today off because I'm burnt. It's wedding week, so I'm not. I chose not to run. I chose maybe a five minute nap instead, which well, probably wasn't worth it. But nonetheless, might be somewhere around 18 miles on Saturday morning.
0: Are we on trail?
1: No. Really? Maybe 16. 16 for sure.
0: Okay. I ran 10. Last weekend, and that was my longest run in a long time. I mean, I'm going to do well, it. Maybe we'll loop by.
1: The Don't house you worry somewhere.
0: about that. No, no, no. You can't have that. You can't have that in front of me. <laughs> you got to burn my boats. Okay. I <laughs> I just
1: wanted to give you the appropriate heads up because I'm behind on mileage, and I'd like to hit something longer. And now I I feel like I can still get there.
0: Okay, I will hit whatever you want to hit, but. Now I really am going to have to taper the rest of the week. Goodness. No, okay. This is the worst well, anyways, news I've received in a long time.
1: I'm really looking forward to it because nothing goes faster than a run with Bracken Crocker next to you. Because Chatty Cathy over here will make the miles tick by like they're kilometers. Mm-hmm. Maybe even shorter. It is like two hours, poof, gone. How did it go? Oh, Bracken was here, keeping me entertained. That's how it goes.
0: Yeah, but you're going to find that uh, stage two of that is going to kick in somewhere around like 13, 14 miles where there's going to be radio silence. When my <laughs> mouth closes, you know that I'm biting down, <laughs> just trying to survive. Good. Well, now I know we'll I need see. to bring a, a waist belt with a bottle with rocket fuel in it.
1: Yeah, I'll probably be, wear- probably be, be wearing one. Yep, That could change. We'll see. But um, All right, you had something you were going to share about uh, a workout you did recently, and then we'll get into our episode.
0: Yeah, I, I assume you're the same way, where if you run a place you've run before, especially if that run had any amount of significance or quality to it, you just can't leave that memory behind. And I had that this weekend. I did a workout on the same hill at Lapham that I've done many times before, but the last time I did this trail this hill, was my first quality trail session of last fall when I was building towards a race right before I had my quadricep tendinopathy pop up. So this was quality session number one of, I don't know, seven weeks before I got hurt. And I it was a good progression. I felt really good. But I did it again here as... Starting back up into a real routine of quality work. This is my first trail quality session uphill since uh, the crash course for Palmerton ended. So I got to just do the exact same workout, same number of reps, and compare at the same effort and compare times and compare how my body felt. And it was a really, really nice day in terms of that. The day itself was brutal, it was a muggy really and nice hot. Day. But it was a nice day of just feeling good about myself because I was faster and I felt more sound structurally.
1: A really nice day by Bracken Crocker. A really nice day. What does day. that look like exactly? I got done with yeah. the same
0: number of reps I had, I had completed last year and it was probably only a few weeks later than this and I had more to do. And my plan was to stop at this point and I stopped at this point. And last time I stopped because I was already getting worrisome feelings in my legs from the descending.
1: That's good. Mm And you were running faster.
0: I was faster. Now I had a bigger discrepancy in my, uh, between my reps than last time. I think I'm in better shape, so I was able to work too hard on the first one. And when you're not in any Mm -hmm. sort of fitness, you can't work hard more than like a quarter of the way up the first hill. So I was able to work too hard on the first hill. So I had a bigger discrepancy between my reps, but all my reps were faster than last time.
1: Yeah, can't complain about that. And Who cares about the discrepancy if the overall average is notably faster?
0: Yeah, and last time I woke up the next morning beat up. And this time I woke up and went and played basketball for an hour and a half.
1: Yeah, buddy. Feeling great. What do you do with... I think a lot of people don't know what to do with like a ski hill like for quality sessions like they're like oh there's well, this a hill. isn't a ski hill. Like, none, none of us mountain folks well Lapham Peak, whatever that it's is. called
0: peak it's this one I there's this there's one it's 0.49 miles and you gain 300 feet and the other one's .81 and you gain the same amount, but you're kind of switch backing up and I was on the switch backing up mm. so this was an uphill trail it wasn't a ski hill. okay well, either way, that's a good sign. but what do I do with it? On this one, I run threshold up, yes. take a rest, and then I flow it fast. I, I don't know how better to describe it. I try to flow it quickly down, work wherever I can, but I'm not pressing down. So it's kind of yep. threshold-y when it flattens out a little bit, and then it's a little under threshold when it's steeper. And then I take another rest. And so it was basically, it's was like 520 to 540 up and like 420 down, and so it's basically those medium-length okay. threshold reps.
1: Okay, and then you do you do rest at the top and rest at the bottom.
0: Yeah, this isn't an up-and-down workout. It's individual reps trying to run it at. It's a it's an internal workout I'm doing on this one hmm. rather than okay. trying to beat my legs up well, and do good. compromised anything.
1: I haven't run in there with you. I think I've only run at, was it Alpine Valley? Not Alpine. Alpine, uh,
0: yeah.
1: What's the name of it? Was it Alpine? Okay. Alpine, Alpine. Valley. It's the only yeah. place we've shared down there. Yeah. So, I did a little, um, did a little to, shoe testing, by the way. Okay. You can continue with yours, but...
0: just No, just a bow tie. This was the first workout I've had definitive proof that I'm in a significantly better place than last year, where I did the same workout in the same place and was faster and felt better. So it was nice. That's it. In, in nice hot day. conditions. Yeah, very.
1: Nice, nice day.
0: Nice day. Okay. We'll All good. right, you did a shoe we'll test.
1: See the, we'll see that on Saturday. We talked about well, the, shoe the shoe test on the last often, episode. Yeah, and first of all, so changing your shoes in between reps is the worst. I'm I don't know if I'll ever do it again. I hated it. I hated Did changing you? shoes. In I do between it so reps. often. Like the shoes are already wet and like they're tied, and I can't get them untied. And my own sweat's dripping down on my hands. And then like mm-hmm. you're kind of in a weird position, and then you're like looking at the rest, and you're like, I got to get back, and so you don't fully tie your next shoe properly. At least that's what happened to me. Uh, and so it was fine, but I don't think I would do it again.
0: I could see but that. But I did a
1: shoe test, which I always hear you do. I always hear you do these shoe tests like mid-workout. And what I mean by that is you do one rep, change – well, I was doing mile repeats, So one rep, change shoes in your rest, another rep with a different shoe, change shoes during your next rest. And you can go through two to however many shoes you want to play with. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is a very worthwhile experiment. I was actually it helped tremendously because it's really hard to gauge a shoe from one standalone workout, and then let's say a week later you do another standalone workout mm-hmm. to the real time. Like I know how that shoe just felt a minute ago, and now this new shoe feels this in this minute. They're like such a close comparative time wise that you don't forget what the old shoe felt like. It's like very immediate feedback. Um, so it was very productive in that way. So maybe I'll maybe I'm just like you know. I'm just grumpy about the logistics of it, but it was it was very worthwhile. And I'll tell you my findings. So, I tested three shoes: uh, the Nike Vaporfly, the Skechers uh, Gomeb Speed, and the Nike Dragonfly, which is a pair of their track spikes. Which I have not worn track spikes since college for anything. In fact, I sold them all on like eBay back in the day mm-hmm. um, to make some change when I was like broke post college. So, uh, started in the vapors and felt like they helped me stay efficient and relaxed. It was rep one, granted, uh, but I could tell like they were. I was taking minimal damage and still working, but like it, I could tell they helped my stride, not hurt it. Right? It was like this shoes. Mm-hmm. The shoes definitely not. It's <coughs> probably helping me. Then I put on the Gomeb Speeds by Skechers, and that's a shoe I claim to I love. And mm-hmm. I put that thing on, and it was like I was bottoming out instantly with no return on investment. I was like, I have to work notably harder. I said, I'm going to work the same on lap one as I worked on lap one with the vapor flies, And I was a second slower with mm-hmm. the same half a second to a second with the same effort Try not to sink into it. And then I had to dig harder to hit my pacing for sure.
0: And usually I rep put two the is the fastest speeds. rep.
1: Yeah. Go. Right. You're ready to go. Wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hit my time, but I could tell it didn't work with me. I put those shoes in the garbage can next to the track. immediately. Really? they said they're sitting there right now. <laughs> I did. I said, I don't rash. like the shoes so much. They're in the garbage can. <laughs> uh, Technology clearly has come a long ways, and I was like, should I set these on the track for somebody else to just take? Because Jess was there with me, and I was like, no, because nobody's going to use this. Just an old.
0: Paris what if you do a Deca shoes, or a the Stadium so or, in the or something like that, where you need a non-plated shoe?
1: Nope, those shoes are dead to me. They're dead to me. <laughs>
0: do you know that those mine are in are the trash to too?
1: Threw them in the garbage. How, how
0: come? Uh, because I I tore the bottoms off it and tried to make them into a trail shoe, on a whim.
1: Oh. <laughs> You messed up, is what. I point. didn't
0: mess up. It 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 was executed well. The rubber was just too heavy, and it threw off the balance of the shoe. It Didn't feel good. Oh. But yeah, so now both well, of our GoMap Speed Sixes are like gone. But the yeah. fives I are still the here. Got for
1: a good deal. You know what? Yeah, I see them. Those are sexy. Yeah. Mine are in the garbage can. A big blue barrel garbage can next to the track. Probably. Nice. Pull off. Who knows what else is in there? Gone instantly. Didn't even leave the track. with them. And then the last, <laughs> the last rep. <laughs> I put on the Dragonflies, which is the track spike, the sexy yes. one. The one that's like, you see the pros wearing, like a lot of those guys are wearing the Dragonfly, the bright pink or orange shoes or yellow shoes. I got a red and black pair, whatever. Now, the Gomebs are like five and a half ounces, five ounces maybe. They're pretty like five ounces. That's yeah, it. Like and the Dragonfly maybe. is like 4.6. Yeah. Yeah. 4.6 ounces, the Dragonfly. I put that shoe on. I couldn't quite tell as I was walking around. And when I started running, It feels like it had four times the support and push than the Gomeb Speed had. Mm -hmm. It was like there's no shoe there, but it feels like there is twice the shoe under my foot than you would feel like it has. There's something magical about that shoe. It's like whatever technology is in it is very forgiving for its weight. Really? And I got going in that, and I was like, oh, I get it instantly. Do I think it helps propel you forward in a slight manner like a Vapor or an Alpha? No. But I took no damage. My calves aren't sore. Really? My legs aren't sore. I ran a mile in it. Was I was the second faster on my first lap, roughly, than the previous rep. Put me right back to where the Vapors did. And I felt like I could get on my toes if I needed to in those much better. Um, and then I ran some 400s with it afterwards and felt really smooth. So the Dragonfly is legit. Even for a heavier runner, in quotes, mm-hmm. I was very impressed with whatever technology or whatever the configuration of that shoe is. So anybody who's considering getting a track spike, for me being a heavier track athlete... Wearing spikes like that, they were actually money. Very impressed. Okay. That's my experiment. Well, to backtrack
0: slightly to the GoMeb, I had the 5, and the 5 is significantly stiffer than the 6. I ran a mid-420s road mile in that shoe and felt good in it. And then I got the six and it's even lighter with even more foam. And I was like, this is going to be the greatest. And I loved it for what I was doing. And then I ran that same road mile in it and it was too flexible and it was too soft for running fast. There wasn't that added stiffness that you need to be able to rebound off the ground. It was like, I was almost in an ultra, not really, but where it just wanted every part of the shoe wanted to touch the ground. And that bottoming out feeling was a bit there for me as well. I loved the shoe for certain things, but when I was trying to run fast in it, it it wasn't almost, it was like not supportive enough. It was just a slab of soft foam underneath me, a very light, sexy slab, but it didn't enhance me at all. And I felt like it actually de- took some energy out of my stride. So I know what you're talking about.
1: I would say that's how it felt. I think I would have been just as good off running in a pair of trainers for at least the speed I was running. I don't think mm-hmm. it would have been any different for me. Um, but it was worthwhile. I'm glad you told me to do that experiment. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but that, those were my findings.
0: Yeah, now you'll have to do a full workout in the Dragonflies.
1: Yeah, which will happen next week.
0: All right. That's well, it. when you're gone Saturday right. prettying up for the wedding, I'm going to steal them. And I'm going to run some strides. Sure.
1: Yeah, Duke. Do it. Go rip around the lawn.
0: How did you find the size of okay. Because I was at Nike Outlet about a month ago, and they had the... What would they have been? Their cross-country version, the uh, Victory XCs. Now they now have... They just came out with a Dragonfly XC. So it's that shoe with mm-hmm. added beef to it, which maybe just might be my best to add a little bit more beef to support me. But the Victory mm-hmm. XC was the original cross-country you know weapon, and... I threw on tens, way I couldn't even fit my foot in it. Threw on ten and a halves and they were like taking up half of the width of my foot. I was hanging out over the sides of those things. Hmm. Ten and a half. So I would have needed like an eleven, eleven and a half, and I usually run ten, ten and a half. So how did you find the sizing in the track spike? Or was that why they were all in the outlet? Is because the sizing was screwed up on those Vic XCs.
1: Good question. Um they're tight. I got a ten and a half. I typically wear a ten and a half and everything. But they're wide in the toe box. Like they have a pseudo, if you mesh like an ultra toe box, like type, like square mm-hmm. end almost. They look nothing huh. like, and they're pointed at the big toe. Like the the longest part of the shoe is at the big toe, not in the center of the shoe.
0: So like it's anatomically toe, like correct.
1: Correct. So it's got a wide front to it. Interesting. So it's a wider spike in the front than anything I've worn. But my feet are bumping the brim um, in the toes. But it's going to work for me. It worked great for me, but I would, if anything, true to size or size up a half size, but they do work for me. And they're wider in the front. They're great. So okay, that was my findings.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, this kind of leads us nicely into what the episode is today. It's wedding week. And this is going to be arguably the most game-changing day of your life in terms of what was before is totally different than what comes next like a true game-changing moment. Getting married always is. And and so what we are going to do today is talk about actual game-changers in running for us. And I've been noodling this for a while, but It wasn't fully formed, but then when your wedding hit, it was like, ah, this is the time to do it because you see all these people posting in reviews or on Instagram, or you'll see things, companies advertise things as this will take you to the next level, or this is your game changing. You must have this, or you'll never be the same after this. And whether it's a nutritional supplement or a fuel during a race or a shoe or a jacket or whatever it is, everyone's always advertising their next product or the training style, or whatever it is, as a game-changer. But as two people who have spent thousands and thousands and thousands (laughs) of dollars on products over the course of our running careers, we know that most of them don't do a whole lot different than anything else does. So today we are going to talk about Mm -hmm. things that you and I both found to be legitimately game-changing for us. And it could be game-changing in a small way, like it stopped chafing, or game-changing in a huge way in that... Mm -hmm. Think we got faster from it. But today is about legitimate, actual game changers for us personally.
1: I love the idea. I'm taking no credit for this. This is a Bracken brainchild. Um, and this could be anything from right, products to training methods to ideas to theories it's to that. anything. Anything that's just as moved the needle forward for us, right, performance-wise. I think that's... Right, that's what it comes down to. So it's very like a it's an open open table, open book. Here, yes, what we're going to dive into. And you caught me off guard, so I haven't had time to think about this. But I'm hoping some of the things you say spawn a few ideas for me. I got a few things that I, I think I could roll with right away. But I think we okay. should kick this off right off the bat.
0: Okay, I'm going to to do, tie two together because they both handle the same issue, and this is a minor. Like a piddly thing type of game changer, but it affects every single run I ever do. And so the two things that I, that were game changers for me, was adding in an anti chafing product. It started as um, body glide and then it progressed to uh, salty bridges. And I'll still use body glide on like the back of my armpits or, you know, underwear line when I'm doing something short. But if I'm going long or it's going to be very hot, then I use salty bridges. But using An anti-chafe product absolutely changed my entire experience as a runner because that back of my armpit lat arm rub area happened every single summer run or long run, and it doesn't anymore. And then the underwear line chafing in any hot run or long run doesn't happen anymore. And along the lines with that, I started cutting the liner out of all my running uh, shorts and and just using standalone running briefs sport performance briefs instead. So those two adjustments there were a legitimate trajectory changer for me as an athlete in terms of just enjoyment and not being chafed and beat up after a run from a skin perspective.
1: So you get for having meaty lats, Bracken. It's That's a problem. right. Thunder thighs and meaty lats. Yep. Being a man. Ho, 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 ho. So... Uh, for clarity, are you talking your underwear, like in your gooch up in there, like in the real nether regions where that all increases?
0: I sometimes would chafe there, but usually it's like at the ch- the the joining of your thigh and your groin. Like that—that that actual mm-hmm. underwear line right through yep. there. Basically, anywhere the seam of right your through, underwear yeah. would touch, where your leg could come into contact with anything else that's down there, that would be an irritation spot. If I ran long enough, or or if I sweat enough, like every I don't own every ultra I ever did or long that run, or like that. I'd get done and I'd have a mess for a day or two. Not a true mess, but it's just like this is a hassle. I don't want to shower now. It's
1: uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: I don't own anything that's cut like that. Not one pair of anything anymore. Yeah, for that reason.
0: And it wouldn't yeah. matter that if that I wore compression reason. shorts uh, or whatever. That's the spot that it would it gets me.
1: Okay, so so um, so just applying that to the areas that you know chafe. That's simple before you before you roll out, especially in the summer. Yeah, in particular. Hour
0: okay. less body glide works just fine for me, and if I'm going longer, then salty britches has never failed me, and I've taken it up over six hours multiple times sweating profusely
1: i'm trying to show you trying to show you my scab mark from my workout my 18 mile long run from last weekend it's still there and i don't use an anti-chafer so maybe i should
0: and i guess to add on to that <clears throat> i tape or use a band-aid across my nipples now on long runs where it's either going to rain or i'm going to sweat like crazy if i'm wearing a top oh tops coming off
1: oh, it's, it's still there
0: i can't it's see it because you're really pixelated but any chance to okay. pop a top off? I'm here for it. It's back on. So I started this. Okay, that's easy. good advice. Low hanging fruit.
1: So would you start with for people who are wondering? Would you just say go right to Salty Britches then because it's a better product?
0: Yeah, it's. I said this on the first one, and I'm going to repeat the phrase. It's the nuclear option. Like it's going to cover all the chafing. It's going to be overkill for daily use, but you will not mm. chafe if you use that. Whereas just that. It, the um, body glide for those who haven't used it—it's just a rub-on stick like a deodorant, and you just get a lot more use out of it on a daily basis. You can just make it last a long time by applying it to the areas. But on big days, I—I I just don't mess around anymore. Yeah, and Lisa started using it in the summer. Her armpits will chafe. When she runs. So she's using salty uh, bridges now too, and she was always a body glide gal. So yeah, if you don't want to worry about it, you just go right to salty bridges. But it's it's overkill for for minor problems.
1: Okay. Um what was the original product? Utter cream, I think, is what I originally started seeing pop up. Isn't that what it was called?
0: There was squirrel's was butter nut cream. butter, there was With
1: squirrel's nut butter and utter cream. They, had, utter they had cream, like huh? interesting name. You don't remember seeing that? That was the The bottle was like black and white splotches like the side of a cow, and this was years ago. No, I don't remember But anyways. Okay. And what happens, folks, just a teachable moment here. Like if you're wondering, like your arm's constantly rubbing and hitting your side in a long run. The friction itself could potentially cause some chafing. But you'll notice like when you wear a shirt, that's enough of a buffer to prevent that from happening. But like if you're in a sports bra like Bracken typically wears or shirtless like I typically go, what happens is you start sweating – And those little salt deposits act like sandpaper. And pretty soon you have salt deposits on your inner arm and on your trunk. And you're literally rubbing grains of sand back and forth every time your arm swings. And it rubs a freaking hole in your skin. And it's mostly due to the grain of the salt that compiles on the surface of your skin. So typically you only get it when it's skin-on-skin contact. And then the, the under region is mostly actually probably from the band of the underwear actually rubbing against The yeah, probably whatever region you want to call that.
0: The growing, the growing,
1: um, the growing, the growing part of your body. How's that? It's explicit.
0: That's a throwback for new listeners. I got used to say the word growing for groin just to keep us all on the same page here so we can all make fun of you adequately. No, that's fair.
1: Um, moving on, I'll take another low hanging fruit. This is top of mind, and I had this thought, um. The other day, I think the biggest, and we talked to Karina Coffin about nutrition. Mm-hmm. The biggest game changer for me in my pre-work quality session or pre-race uh, nutrition arsenal, biggest game changers are Bobo's bars. Bobo's bars. I don't know if you ever eat them. Nope. It is the most compact oatmeal bar that is just easy, can go with you as you're driving to the track or to your race. You don't have to make anything. It's in a nice little package and they taste great. It is my... It is my If I want to feel good and load up, give me 400 calories of oats and a nice compact bar that's easy to digest. It has been for two years now. It is what I eat the morning of a race, maybe a banana too, and they're fantastic. (laughs) Bobo's bars, done. Nothing has worked. Sat better. It's not too much volume or liquid. Provides a dense form of carbohydrates, and I feel really good on them. And so quality sessions and and, and, uh, races get Bobo's bars. Simple as that. Don't worry about your overnight oats or making it in the microwave bobo bar okay how's that
0: i like it i haven't done that if oats work
1: for you that is
0: i'm up for that I'll, I'll give it a try maybe i'll steal some again while i'm out there this weekend i'm gonna i'm gonna use all your stuff
1: hey i got a plenty of them in the uh in the pantry so we can both eat bobos together and go for a long run how's that oh sound? my
0: goodness i like it and I'll, I'll i'll just finish that thought up from my perspective absolute game changer to me pre-race and workout was going to Uncrustables and baby food pouches. The baby food pouches was just a light bulb moment for me. I get nauseous trying to chew before a race because of nerves and race anxiety. And even if I don't think I have them, the moment I open my mouth to take a bite, I realize, Oh, they're back. It's like food induced mm-hmm. race anxiety and nausea, but just sucking down that baby food out of the pa- the pouch works for me. And between that and the Uncrustables, that's all I fueled on for pre-race at the Tennessee Mile, and that race starts at noon and goes to 6 p.m. And all I had from waking up until noon was Uncrustables and baby food, and then during the race, all I had was Tailwind, and my energy levels were great. So that's all I have now pre-race. Game changer for me.
1: I think the point is it's convenient and easy to get down, and it it's mm-hmm. well. like I can a dense-ish form of calories that you don't have to try to eat. That's the point. And something exactly. that digests easy. I know we just had this conversation, but um, the one product for me is Bobo's Bars. Um, mm-hmm. I got it. And my next one, I guess, if you just share you just kind of shared another one. Um, yeah. Do it. Game changer for me is when I realized the biggest factor into me liking or disliking a shoe, and this didn't dawn on me until like four years ago, three years ago, had nothing to do with the brand, had nothing to do with if it was a trailer, road, or what technology was in it. The number one guiding factor, which most of you should look into, is what is the heel to toe offset. I would put on a pair of shoes that was supposed to be the best thing in the world that cost 200 bucks, and I'd hate it. I couldn't figure out why. I never paid attention. Well, a 10 mil drop doesn't work with my stride and my foot plant. You put me in a six mil or under, four or less ideally, and suddenly everything feels smooth and like butter. And that clicked for me like when I bought my first pair of ultras and I was like, why does this shoe feel so good? Like there's nothing to it. Like it shouldn't, but yet I feel smooth in it. And I was like, zero drop. Interesting. And then I put on an old pair of something that was eight drop and I felt clunky. And I was like, that makes no sense. The eight drop shoe is a better shoe by standards, technology, everything. But this ultra I got on clearance that doesn't even have that much cushion feels (laughs) way, way better. And it, Clicked like oh my god i 'm more efficient in low drop shoes. My heel hits the ground too soon in a high drop shoe, and now i won 't touch anything i 'm realizing unless it 's six or under, uh, and I even noticed that with the new vapor fly, I think it 's an eight mil drop and I feel inefficient in it i 'm not going to race in it it 's now just a regular running shoe because the drop is too high, and that confirmed it for me. so those of you who are trying to get dialed in in shoes, I think as much as anything, you should pay attention to the drop your foot responds well to as much or more than any other factor in your shoe. And that was a game changer for me.
0: I like that. I'll stick with shoes and, and I'm pretty similar to you. Four to six mil is well, hold my on. sweet can spot.
1: Can I, can I, oh, yeah. well, I was just going to ask you a follow up. Do you feel the same about that, that subject or does it not matter for you?
0: I think mine's a little more nuanced on the trails. Four to six mil is my sweet spot. Now the more minimal a shoe is, the less I need the drop. But the more I can get away with bigger drop. Like I think the Nike streaks were always considered like a 10 mil drop shoe, but it's like from 20 down to 10, mm. heel to toe. It would just, it that doesn't matter to me. But it, the higher the stack is, the more I'm sensitive to the height. I think that's why you and I like the Alpha Fly much more than the Vapor, because it's just lower. It's why you and I get a well, along well with Hoka's, because they're all between four and six mil drop. So on the trails and with tall 100%. stack height... I really prefer that mid-stack rather than a high stack. I agree with you on that.
1: Okay, cool. I was curious.
0: Yeah, footwear-wise, my big uh, I I truly believe this. My biggest game-changer was choosing the shoe that I can run the second half of the race in. Now, we've been dramatic and say, don't wear the shoe. You can wear that you're fast in for the first mile. Wear the shoe that you're fastest in for the last mile. But I'll just say second half. When I stopped being a weight weenie, which is just choosing the lightest possible thing to race in, my racing got better. As soon as I started choosing a shoe that I could run in for the entirety of the race without breaking down, my life got a whole lot better as a racer. And that means a whole lot of different things at different points in my fitness and body weight. Sometimes that was the Innovate X-Talon 190 I ran a seven hour and 44 minute race in that shoe in the mountains because I could run in the mountains in that shoe for seven hours and 44 their, minutes.
1: I still think that's their best trail shoe they've made, best trail it, racing shoe. The original I think so. 190.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, the follow up was mm-hmm. darn close, but I don't think they've recaptured that ever since. But sometimes it's hoka, sometimes it is a racing flat. But whatever the second half of my race requires, choosing that shoe opened up my running because things stopped breaking down on me and cramping as bad as soon as I moved to that.
1: I share your sentiment.
0: Hmm.
1: If it's more of a shoe but the right shoe, it's going to serve you way better than just wearing the lightest thing thinking that's going to make you the fastest. I see so many people out on like these especially OCR that have no yeah. business wearing these little floppy innovates or these light VJs. Nothing, those are they're great shoes, but like really I think they're like just they're they're causing damage to their legs way quicker with less of a shoe and thus the back half they're bleeding out time even though they think they're running in the right shoe for the job i don't believe they are you can see it all around when you're at these races yeah you're shaking your head like you agree
0: yeah, and it's been from day one. When I came into this sport, I ran in the A6 Outback XCs and then the A6 Hyper XCs for the first year, and then switched to the Nike Waffle XC after that. These are cross-country rubber-bottom racers, racers basically spikeless versions of cross-country shoes. And Hobie, from the beginning, he had the Adidas XCS, which is a rubber-bottom cross-country spike in year one, and then he switched to Nike Waffle Racer, that Waffle XC, after that as well. So he and I were both wearing the Nike Waffle XC or Waffle Racer. I don't remember what it was called at the time. And we were two of the three top visible people in the sport. And as a result, because the trail shoe offering back there was very minimal. You had like the New Balance Minimus. You had like an MT110 or something like that. And then you had like Brooks Cascadia. And outside of that, it was basically... Well, you had
1: to go overseas.
0: Overseas, overseas yeah
1: innovate if you wanted to find anything yeah there was also
0: imagine. the solomon speed cross which was a 10 or 12 mil drop shoe so really there they were only like four or five legitimate trail shoes and we didn't know about innovate yet they were still just making their way to the east coast so we ran in cross-country rubber bottom racers and i got to my first world championship and i saw people lining up for the ultra which i completed in seven hours and 44 minutes and took third that is a huge day for the people who were doing it fast. There were people out there that were going to spend 14 hours on course. Cause I don't think there were cutoffs back then. And they were doing it in about a five ounce spike basically. And I just looked at them and cringed and thought, Oh, you're going to cramp so badly. Your feet are going to be destroyed, but mm-hmm. you don't know better yet. And now we, we can know better because the shoe industry and the access to information has changed. But as soon as you get away from that, Life gets better, but it is hard to stop thinking about what do I feel fastest in and think about that point in every race which everyone gets to where you realize you said it last episode. It's not about speed anymore. This is about engine. This is about durability. As soon as you get to that point, yep. it doesn't matter what's on your feet weight wise, it matters what can I run in?
1: Yeah. Preach, brother.
0: Preach. I agree to no end on that one. These when episodes did you here that? Uh, one specific Specifically. day. But, but first, I'm going to say these episodes here must drive my family members crazy. When I can look back and know what shoe Hobie Call was running in in 2011. Oh yeah, that was the Adidas XCS, and it, he had the black colorway. Like, yeah, uh, that's that's right. But I don't remember to pick up bananas from the store, or I can't remember where I put my watch <laughs> charger. This is. <laughs> it has to drive people around me nuts. But anyways, the, the day it hit me was in Glen Rose, Texas during an obstacle course race. And I had been dealing with some fitness issues due to some um, SI issues in my lower back that I got from that seven hour and 44 minute day or whatever it was, 747 out in Keelington. I'd never run a real mountain before and it was too much descending and too much braking, trying to run downhill for that long. And I got some SI stuff happening. And I decided, you know what? I'm going back to my roots. By that point, I was running in the Innovate X-Talon 190s. And I said, I'm going back. And I pulled out the ASIC Hyper XCs. And there's there's nothing to the shoe. And it was like a 14 or 15 mile distance race. And I think I made it six miles in and realized I'm slapping the ground. Every stride I'm taking from here to the end of the race, these last eight or nine miles is going to be bad and I just started bleeding out time and my form couldn't keep it together and my hamstring started hurting it was just right there in the moment I was just thinking what am I even do? I was trying to make up for lack of fitness with a light fast shoe and from that day forward I cannot get that race out of my head anytime I have that that thought before a race All right I've got my lighter faster shoe or the reliable shoe I just flash back to Glen Rose, Texas, and think, and I think this was 2012, or 30, it would have been, yeah, 2012, and just think, you're not going to be that person again. It's going to happen the exact same way. Even though you think it's going to be different, it's not.
1: That's, uh, that's over a decade ago, in case you're wondering.
0: It is. <laughs> getting old.
1: Dare yep. You really are. Was that Glen Rose year, that was the year, that was after Killington? They had Killington, and then they went to Glen Rose for a world championship?
0: No, the world championship in Glen Rose was the year prior, 2011. And actually, Hobie was in the a, the Adidas in 2010. By 11, he was in the Waffles. But after the world championship in Killington in 2012, uh, there were like four more beast races in those remaining two and a half months on the calendar. And it was the first year of the point series. Uh, And so everyone had to go out and run because they were worth 300 points, supers like 250 and sprints 200. So we all just went out and just raced a bunch of half marathon or longer distances on the trails to try to get our points in.
1: Got it. So you went after the world championships to Glen Rose to run a race. That wasn't the world champs. That makes sense. Okay. I I wasn't following the timeline there. That's why I was confused. I assumed you were talking about like a championship race.
0: No, just a, it was the culmination of the series.
1: Hmm, okay.
0: Cody Moat lost the series um, that yeah. day because I believe it was that day because he got back from about a quarter mile bucket carry and his gravel was below one of the holes and he had to redo the bucket carry.
1: Brutal. Did he go That's, from first to like 15th or something?
0: He went from like first to fourth or fifth and ran back to second. <laughs>
1: who won that day
0: that was hobie won. Mm. that was the year though that that's, cody won the u.s trail marathon and 50k championships mm.
1: I'm trying to think how old would how old would hobie and cody be nowadays hobie's got to be 43 44 and cody the same 43 44
0: that would be my guess
1: the last of we're, we're gonna see those guys ever or well, I mean, Spartan's done a good job of ruining Spartan as those guys known it, so I doubt we'll see him again, at least in that avenue, huh?
0: We'll never see Cody again. Uh, Hobie in his latest video looked exactly the same he looked the last time we saw him, <laughs> and so he looks like he could still Wait, show up any time and be good.
1: We shouldn't talk about Hobie's latest video. That's, that was a tough one to watch. He looked young, though. Um, right. He looks great. That's the premise of the video is kind of yeah, brutal. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. Okay. Somebody getting arrested over in your neighborhood?
0: Always. You got to come correct on these streets, Kirk.
1: It's been. It's. You hear that, folks? Just let's just leave it in today.
0: Maybe I will. Just just Best for concert. wedding week.
1: It was garbage trucks. It was garbage trucks already, which you probably didn't hear, sirens, you'll get the bells. It's always something on your end.
0: Yeah, I guess if you were to start a podcast, you shouldn't locate yourself in the center of the city. Not that we're a huge city, but we are the center of it, dead center. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, Another one? Do you have one you want to jump to or should I step on in?
0: Uh, a. Definite game changer for me was going to a windproof pair of thermal pants for winter running, going to the windproof material and, and on top of actual thermal, like thicker tights or pants. And I even bought two pairs of wind blocking underwear, regular running ones, a brief one is a like mini compression short, but with a wind panel in front changed my winter running and I will never go back. Anytime it's below freezing, anytime there is high wind now, I just throw those babies on and I am never uncomfortable in my crotch. <laughs> Which I don't care how weird that sounds. That is a non-negotiable. You cannot come back frozen. It is you only make that mistake once and you vow to never make that again. Like truly frozen to the point of I wonder if I've done damage. Never again.
1: Well, it's not the freezing part that's the problem. It's the unthawing part.
0: The unthawing is that as much of a problem as anything. Mm.
1: Yeah. I, I don't own a pair of those. Really? So maybe I should consider. Do you just them.
0: double layer then?
1: Not tr- not true. I have a really nice pair of um, craft winter running pants, and they have an outer-ish shell, but it wouldn't be I, what I believe you're talking about. Um, and they 're they really cut through the wind nicely, but i don 't think it 's all all the way to what you 're talking about but it 's an upgrade from what I previously used, mm-hmm. which I would have to put on like my running like tight like my running underwear, and then a pair of compression shorts underneath right. my winter running pants to at least give enough layers of protection where now these uh, craft do the trick on their own in like zero degrees or above, anyways. So
0: I think I have that same craft what do you, pair. It's like a brushed fleece almost.
1: Maybe I could. I don't know if I would describe it as that, but I would not describe it as that. So maybe. Okay. What is your preferred pair then?
0: I have a Craft. I have a North Face. I have a Nike. Every time I see a pair of true winter tights with wind blocking on it on sale, I grab it. Because they don't all fit well. Like, so, because of it's almost like a plasticized crotch. feeling. crotch. Yeah, and, or the butt doesn't want to stay up. They're not like normal tights where they stay up great. So whenever I find one that works, I just try to stock up on it. Because I'll wear it every single day and mm. every cold day.
1: Okay. I'm going to go uh, with a non-product. Okay. Uh, another game changer. It's easy to go to products, right? which it is. There's been some game changer products, right. Um, I think everything from head to toe has been a game changer in some sort of innovation. I could pick something like oh, the super shoes for example, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, uh, when I realized mostly this last three years, maybe four, if you're wondering what to do for your quality session, like what's going to move the needle the most, go longer and rest less Mm -hmm. go longer rest less if you're like should i do quarter mile repeats or half mile repeats what's going to make me a better spartan racer or a better at my 10k there's no question that typically the answer is always go further for your interval duration and then oh should i take like oh three or four minutes rest in my mile repeats how about two maybe 90 (laughs) seconds Turning everything into that, what I realize is that over the years, there's a time and a place for efficiency work and speed over speed training for sure is a valuable part of the system. But what we're reduced to when we're racing is not that. It's not 400s with two minutes rest. It's just not. When we're racing, we're working an energy system, and we need to touch that energy system as often as we can in training. And so now these float-style workouts, active recovery, shorter rests have moved my racing ability and my fitness needle way further than going out and simply doing, like, standard, I'm going to do quarter-mile repeats faster than race pace, race pace every week because that's going to make me, in quotes, faster. Mm-hmm. Realize that's not how it works. And so erring on the side of longer intervals and less rest will move the fitness needle for you Notably further than quick, fast intervals that make you feel good about yourself in the moment. Those typically don't serve nearly as much of a purpose as the grindy workouts where you might not even feel that great about it when you're done because it just sucked and your metrics were slower than you wanted because you had little rest or all those things. But that's what translates to racing. And so since I've changed that, I think I saw a bump in my fitness just changing what I'm choosing mm-hmm. on a workout basis. And, and you know just as well as me, Bracken, that we came from a track background. And when you're running the 800 and you're running the 1500, sure, there is some threshold work in there and we did some longer intervals, but a lot of times we ripped and took rest, ripped and took rest. And so that was ingrained in us from the beginning. So as we came to this endurance space, racing 30 minutes, 60, two hours, seven hours, we just took those same principles initially and like, oh, instead of doing eight 400s, I'm going to do 16. Good on me. I doubled that. That's going to work. And sure, Mm -hmm. to an extent it helps, but- It's not the same, and so we had to break through those molds because we had predispositions based on our collegiate experiences, and it was hard for me to come up with my own philosophies because I had a great coach, and he Mm -hmm. coached us well for what we were doing, but that's not the game when you're racing as long as we are, so that's a big revelation for me in the last couple of
0: years. Do you know what it reminds me of, and this isn't an analogy, it's just a similar thing, is uh, the karate kid. Mr. Miyagi, the wax on wax off where Daniel keeps wanting to just train fighting and he's got him doing chores, housework that is doing the things that he's going to need to be able to do when he fights. And the whole time, you know, it's, it's glamorized, it's Hollywood, but suddenly they start sparring. He starts fighting and he's doing the things he's been used to doing. And now it just works in a fight, even though he didn't think he was preparing for a fight. He wanted to fight fast and hard to prepare for a fight. Well he didn't. And that's to me what these long reps are. In it, you're always thinking, is this even possibly fast enough to ever prepare me for a race? Because it doesn't feel like a race. It feels different. And that's kind of like this threshold concept. I'm not even running yeah. right. I'm not even running race pace in
1: this quality session. How am I supposed to race at a faster pace? That doesn't make sense.
0: And it's hard to trust it and you take a leap of faith and suddenly you're in the race thinking, I feel okay doing this. I'm feeling alright. I'm racing. Oh, my goodness, I'm racing. But d- despite not having done a ton of race-specific work, your energy systems and your engine showed up ready to race, despite you're just doing, like, the household chores and training. That's how I think of it.
1: It's a great analogy. Yes, that's an analogy, and, yes, it's a great one. I'll take it. How about, how about a naked karate kid <laughs> standing in an open doorway in the winter?
0: Well, hopefully he's all grown shirt. up, and he's not in well, he is. middle school. Okay,
1: you and from the backside, right? This is an inside. God, I hope that didn't miss the mark with our audience. It <laughs> did. We, we, <laughs> we made <laughs> Bracken <laughs> likes to use this an, analogy about tipping over threshold is like a naked guy getting closer and closer to out his door in the winter that's wide open, and he can tolerate standing in the kitchen just fine. He gets closer and closer to the door he's naked. And pretty soon he's out the door, and he can barely stand there for very long before he has to come back inside. It's basically breaching threshold or not. And so I was just I've never saying heard we this combine in combine life. Oh my <laughs> god! So we could just combine the two analogies, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Thought, put on a T-shirt. Who? Nobody would buy that T-shirt.
0: There's no such thing as bad ideas, but I hope the Karate Kid was naked. Might might be a bad idea remember we talked about putting our foot in our mouth the last episode there's one <laughs> you know it would be even better than the Crowdy kid is if he wasn't wearing any clothes
1: <laughs> oh help me no. right. i haven't gotten much sleep this week back and it's wedding week i'm i told i'm burning the candle all what right.
0: you said wasn't wrong I, I i pushed it over the edge all right so to to piggyback on your idea of that my version of that is that as well yes because I think we both have, have, have felt that, but the power of hill running was a actual game changer for me doing intensity uphill and finding that not only did I get really good at running hills compared to how I was, I'm not saying I'm a really good hill runner, but it improved my hill running skill and ability, but I also got faster on the flats, finding that magic was a game changer because it allowed me to finally start breaking outside of what I was doing in college, like you talked about. The only way to get faster is to run short, fast, flat reps, preferably on the track. Hill work changed everything for me, which then led to buying an incline trainer. And an incline trainer was an absolute game changer for me. And we're back to product. But the theory, the principle of training uphill And then the product of an incline treadmill, those two things drastically changed me as a runner.
1: If you had to pick what would be more important for, let's say living where you live, you have access to a 300 foot hill at most. Mm -hmm. You either live somewhere completely flat with no access to hills, but you had your incline trainer and you could go up for as long as you wanted hours on end, or you had no incline trainer, but you had access to that 300 foot hill. What are you picking?
0: I'm still taking the 300-foot hill.
1: Okay, 150-foot hill. Incline trainer. 150. So there's a tipping point somewhere in there for you. There is. And it is is
0: because I am so susceptible to downhill damage that I have to do downhill work. And I know you could Mick Gerillo your situation and do all the plyo and the other piddly stuff to get better at downhill. But my downhill skill is determined by how often I'm actually running downhill. So I would choose the ability to run downhill for 300 feet, but for 150 I already am choosing the incline trainer. It's the single best tool I've ever had as a runner, is my treadmill.
1: Yeah, if they uh, didn't break all the time, I use them so much. I was having this conversation with another uh, athlete of mine um, Joey Coates, who is having a hard time. Got a new incline trainer, Nordic Track. Uh, and what i think the pr- and he's having issues with it and like he has to restart it and plug it plug it in pl- take it out to get mm-hmm. it to turn on i think it comes down to more i think mechanically it's a good machine i really think that it's an electrical issue with all the sweat that happens on those things going mm-hmm. uphill i think it's just a moisture issue because i have issues with my incline going up and down and it not calibrating properly now and now it's like malfunctioning or the screen turns off mid workout and resets and it has to be a moisture issue with the electrical components so they need to yeah. tighten that up but it's like a slop fest i've had puddles on every incline workout like of course eventually something's going to get through to something yeah i think that's the issue they need to work on
0: yeah that's that's part of it and then the other part is your electrical source if you can get it on a dedicated circuit it's always better you can have something that can fully power it because even the motor going the the repairman who came to mind is like it doesn't matter if you get the upgraded motor because it's based off electricity so it's going to pull what it's going to pull and it won't even access those extra two and a half horsepower you're paying for because it can't use it it's electronically controlled so mm. if you're not on a like if, if if you're not on a a its own circuit and then like two twenty versus one ten or whatever you're going to have it on does matter and the other thing he said which I figured out through trial and error he said don't ever use the fans on them the fan is a known issue to screw up the electronics like my belt starts slipping my speed sensor star- stops working well as soon as I turn on the fan on the machine and it took me like th- three or four weeks before I figured it out so I haven't used the fan in years and I haven't had a single belt slip since then but it's one of those like the less you can use the electronic components the better the machine's going to work hmm. So I screw the, the eye track bolts users out there that might be the into my floor mm. joys and I suspend box fans if I need fans now.
1: That might be the biggest takeaway for a lot of people today if they're Nordic track users is that little advice. I didn't know that and I don't use fans. I just sit in just mm-hmm. the hot and nasty. And I don't turn the fans on on my Nordic track either because I don't want to. Mm. But uh, I know Jess does so I'll be curious. If she's had issues with that. She tends to have more issues when she gets on it than when I get on it. And now I'm wondering if there's a cause of correlation there. Or she's correlation probably using the cause. fans. How do you say it? She might be. Uh, all right. Um, were you were you
0: wrapped up with that one? or? Yeah. Power of hill work. It helps everything.
1: Everything. Okay. I had an idea and I forgot it, Bracken.
0: Well, I'll I'll double down on my hill work by making one more dramatic statement. We've always played that. If you could only, you just did it with the hill. We used to ask the coaches that in the coaches series. If you could do only quality work or only aerobic or whatever it is. If I had access to any terrain in the world I wanted, but or any style of training, but I couldn't um, run hills, or I could only do quality work on hills, no flat, nothing else, I would choose the quality work on hills. I would do 100% of my hill work or 100% of my quality work on the hill versus any other style that the only caveat was I couldn't do anything on hills. Like I could run VO2 max, speed work, threshold work, long runs, but they were all flat. Or I could only run hill workouts. That's it. I would choose hill workouts.
1: Well, case in point, uh, for those of you who have followed us for years... Um, I mean, I think constantly back to the Nicole Miracle episode when she was winning U.S. National Series races on flat ground, Alabama, Jacksonville, by minutes and minutes. And then she tells us, oh, yeah, I only run uphill. Mm-hmm. I don't run flat ground because of her hip at the time yeah. or her Hips. It was something. Hips. I only run uphill. I don't do any quality sessions on flat ground. It's only hill work. And then she goes to flat ground and smokes everybody. You think it translates? Oh, mm-hmm. it translates. I have to answer that question once every other week. I'm training for a road marathon. Why do you have 15% work in my, in my plan every week? I have to answer that question to almost every road athlete I have. Mm-hmm. And I give them a version of, of what you're talking about um, because I believe it's so vital that way. So I'm on board.
0: What do you got next? What's been a game changer for you?
1: Um, a couple of things. I'm gonna. I got two for sure, and they're not. One's kind of a product, and one isn't. So I'll go with the product, um, and that is. This is gonna sound dumb. YouTube. Mm. YouTube. My iPad and YouTube is the reason I don't dread my assault bike. It's the reason I get on and cross-train. I'm not a high-mileage athlete. I need to cross-train one to three times a week, depending on how my body's feeling. And I actually look forward to getting on there and getting to pull up the next races that happened the past weekend or re-watching a Spartan race on the venue I'm about to go participate at. It actually has – I mean, I used to for years get on there and just put my music on or put a podcast on and go drone away on the bike or the elliptical way back in the day if I couldn't run. And now it makes a difference. There's no level of dread that I used to have with having to just zone out, stare at the wall at at LA Fitness and listen to the same Pandora station while I try to grind out some cross-training session. It was like minutes lasted hours and now it like brings time back to center. And the fact that I rely on that for my cross training is like a game changer. I never did that until this last handful of years. And it sounds stupid, but I don't have to hesitate going into my room and hopping on the assault bike because like it's tolerable with that. And so I don't know if any of you are staring at the walls while cross training or just don't do it because it's dreadful, but like. Dude, YouTube has saved my has saved my cross training experience.
0: Yeah. That's yeah, it. There was that always that that argument, that always present argument: Do real runners listen to music, or watch TV on the treadmills, or even use treadmills? And I always thought, how many of those real runners in college who are giving me crap for doing my summer runs of music are running anymore? Almost none of them. True. You got sick of it. You were so in on the experience <laughs> right. until the experience dulled. I don't struggle to get out for recovery and easy runs because I throw on YouTube. <laughs> All right, throw on an audiobook. It's really, really easy to sustain your your passion for running if it's not solely dependent on the act of running itself every single day. Like you can talk about how tough you are that you never did a workout with music on in your life, but you ran until you were 22 and you stopped. So that's it. I don't need to hear from you anymore.
1: I agree with you. And you know what? I mean, I run with music pretty much every time now, or podcasts on easy days, music on quality days. I've done the podcast on quality days. That don't work. I don't listen to what mm-hmm. they're saying. It's just white noise. But um, then I go race without music or distraction. Makes no difference. Like, I yes, I can just go race. It's not like I don't, because I don't have something playing in my ear that I suddenly can't access my gritty side. Like, no, the intensity of a race situation is captivating. There's I wouldn't even know there. what's playing in my ear if I listen to something.
0: There's competitors. Like, it doesn't
1: matter. It doesn't... In- Right. It doesn't impact your ability to go race hard without music if you listen to music during your sessions. Not at all, from
0: my experience. This will sound like we're just coaches saying coaching things, but strength training is a game changer for me. Every time I get into trouble with my body, it's because I'm not correctly supporting it with strength work every single time it's because I develop an imbalance that could have been fixed in the weight room. And every time I feel bulletproof, it's because I'm doing some st- sort of strength work and I don't care what your program is. I don't care if you're doing P90X or, or whatever the new P90X is probably two decades old at this point, whatever the new trendy workouts, are, I don't care. As long as you find something that will support and bulletproof your body. So, that you can do all the running and racing that you want to do. And I'm the poster child for missing out on races because I haven't taken care of my body correctly. But it only happens in cycles where I get away from strength work. Kirk, since you've known me, has there been a time where I've been lifting consistently and been injured?
1: Mm,
0: no. I mean, I'm thinking really hard. That's where the pause comes from. I don't think so. The only time that they were concurrent was during my Hyrox build, and that's because I had a pre existing meniscus tear. But nothing nothing happened during it. I've never been injured while in a strength training block.
1: What are you doing right now for strength? If you don't if you don't mind me asking. Not a ton. <laughs> well, <laughs> need your own advice.
0: Yeah? I know. I mean it's Bracken? it's it's been in the What's process of, of building. It went from What does that mean? I mean no times in like 4 weeks to once a week to twice a week. I'd say I'm at twice a week right now.
1: Twice a week is very sustainable if it, if there's purpose to it for an endurance True. athlete. I
0: True. Think. And it's more about mm-hmm. what I'm doing during it. Okay. I'm not doing I enough timed my strength sessions. I do for my legs.
1: Hmm. I only do two a week right now. I mean, back when I started all this, I was doing four at least. Um, And as you get older, you retain muscle, it seems like. Like, I don't need to do as much work. Like, you've laid the foundation. It wants to mm-hmm. stay on you now. But... And but yeah, I timed it. I worked out for fifty two minutes on Monday doing upper work, upper work only, and this morning was forty eight minutes doing legs with some overhead shoulder work. I strength trained for like an hour forty total this week, that will be all, and that's hour forty five, and that's pretty typical for me. I mm-hmm. get to the gym, I get to work, don't don't get me wrong, I got under heavy load on the squat bar, I was doing Bulgarians and walking lunges and I was I'm going heavy, but nonetheless uh, that time investment pretty minimal if you get down to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Doesn't take a lot
1: as long as you're not dilly dallying, anyways. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm gonna have one that I think is gonna is going to surprise people. Okay. This is not a product. If YouTube, my last game changer, is a product, which I think it is, service product. Um. And this one, I think a lot of people are gonna disagree with me on. There is more power to running on the roads than the credit it gets for all other applications, trail running in particular, hybrid as well, and then, of course, any sort of flat racing. The roads get such a bad rap for causing injury, for being annoying, for being boring, for... Uninspiring for not serving a purpose. If I'm not racing on the roads, why should I be running on them? Concrete sidewalks, all that falls into that category. Well, the reason people get injured when they run on the roads is because of the force and impact and how hard the concrete is in the sense that it's causing more force back on your body. Damage, let's call it. People look at that in a negative light. And it should be looked at in a negative light if you're struggling with injury and overuse injuries, and that's you. And it has been me. However, we have to look at the damage concrete causes on your body as a positive thing if our goal is to increase resistance to impact, in particular mountain races, in particular descending. The best next thing to descending hard on trails, if you want to create damage, is go run hard on concrete. See what that does to you. Maybe in a shoe that isn't terribly cushioned or has a big stack height. I have found my durability has gone up from this road running I've done, even on the trails. It's translated because of the damage the roads cause. And I think it's a very underserved segment of purposeful training, no matter where you race. I think it doesn't get the credit it deserves. And I found road running, and yes, it can be uninspiring. And yes... Sometimes it's not nearly as fun as hitting the trails. I think there's a place for it, even if you're a trail runner. So that's a revelation I've had very recently, like this last year recently. And I want you can maybe argue with me. I don't know. The look on your face, I can't tell what you think. But I don't think it's talked about enough. How that's beneficial.
0: Well, Kirk, I have two things to say about that. First is that I just prescribed pavement hill repeats to an athlete prepping for Killington. Because he didn't have access to a steep enough legit hill. So we're going to do it on a hard surface instead to take the pounding. I believe you're absolutely right. However, one thing I was going to say later is that one of the biggest game changers for me as a runner was finding the trails. And that if at all possible, I would never run anything other than a trail for the rest of my life other than... Races. Well you can
1: argue that for the exact, and you can argue that for the exact opposite reason, as right. I'm now arguing the roads. It causes less damage, it makes you more less susceptible to injury, and it creates longevity in sport, right like, Yes, but I think that my point is that the roads create damage, which damage is what's going to cause you to blow up in the mountains at times because you've just taken too much or in any race, and you've you got so damaged you can 't move forward, and the roads cause damage, and there's mm-hmm. benefit to that. In some aspect, especially longer races.
0: Yeah, the roads aren't respected or they're feared, but the roads need to be treated as a tool, which is you choose a tool because you intend to use it. And the roads are a great tool for keeping your cadence up, for running faster and for taking damage. The downside of trails is that it tends to slow your cadence and your speed, and you can get away from those things if you're not doing purposeful things to counteract that. So I agree with you. I can't stand them, but I do agree with you.
1: Well, you're going to have to stand them on Saturday because that's what we're doing.
0: I can't believe Locked. we're getting together for the first time in two years—in a year, in a year—and you're a year. taking me on the pavement.
1: It's more a logistics issue. I don't—we don't have a lot of time to work with in the morning because I got to, you know, get married and stuff. So we're just going to leave from the house. Okay, it's more of that than anything. But I just think it's a tool for damage. I think in a perfect world, let's say. You wanted to cause damage, recover, cause damage, recover, which is the training cycle, right? Quality session, recover. We create damage, we recover from the damage. Hit your quality session on the road, tear up those legs, and then go recovery run on the trail and take as little impact as possible. Grass miles is like road athletes would call it then Mm -hmm. go hit your next quality session on the roads. I mean, that'd be like a cycle, which would be sustainable. One of my college teammates, uh, Dave Krzyzewski, we've been kind of refollowing each other recently, and he's 42, an MD or uh, emergency room doc in uh, Palo Alto. And uh, that's his system. Morning run, he hit 15 by a K yesterday in the morning on the roads. And then he did his six grass miles in the evening to flush the legs out. And that's a That's a routine people get into. So the soft terrain speaks to the recovery aspect. Mm -hmm. The firm terrain speaks to the damage aspect. Um, Just something I'm, it's a thing I'm working through right now, Bracken, that thought process.
0: Well, it's not wrong, but it's not my game changer.
1: Well, the floor is yours.
0: Product, it would fall into the piddly stuff category. A waterproof running cap, a running hat, Mm. a regular running hat, but waterproof was a game changer for me. Like a baseball cap? Yes, but waterproof. I have one made by Solomon. It is fantastic. I did a, a thunderstorm run the other day and didn't have any water in my eyes or on my face at all the whole time. And if your head's warm, there's a good chance the rest of your body's warm. So I will choose that with no jacket for most weather before I will choose a jacket with no head covering.
1: Interesting. Do you only run in that hat if it's raining?
0: Yeah, because it's too hot. It doesn't breathe.
1: Right, right. Because then you're you just you're trapping the rain between your skull and the jacket, but that rain is sweat, and then it won't go anywhere.
0: Correct. Or the hat. Yeah, it is okay, only product. for significant rain, but it's legit. Hmm.
1: You know what I'm looking for a game changer on, if anybody out there, speaking of products, is I have not found the pair of headphones yet that I'm in love with. I have yet to find one that has the right sound quality that lasts long enough. And the one I currently use, the Mifo Gen 2 Touch, is great, but you get a stiff wind and it like pauses the podcast on you. Or like I go to adjust it and the volume goes down. Like it's so sensitive that it like stops itself on me. Or the volume slowly goes down over the run. And pretty soon I'm like, I can barely hear my music anymore. Why is that? The battery life's great, the sound is great. But it like it's little things like that, like if that same headphone had a push button, I had to hit it more aggressively to change something. It'd be fine I don't if anybody has a suggestion for headphones, I'm open to it. Bracken look like you got something you want to tell me.
0: I don't think there's unicorn headphone out there. uh I have one that's discontinued, but I have I got another one I found it refurbished on Amazon, so it's good. It's push button, it is bomb proof, it is waterproof. It's fantastic, but the downside is it has no noise isolation, which I like because then it's not plugged all the way into my ear canal, and so it sits a little bit outside of it, and then it doesn't cause me issues, and you can hear everything, but if I'm running into the wind or I'm bombing a descent, I just can't hear anything, so that's the downside to that one. Um, My next stop is going to be bone-conducting headphones. That'll be my next stop, because that'll solve two issues for me. The, the issue with strong wind screwing up my audio, just deafening it, um, and winter running. I just can't pull the trigger on any of those Bluetooth hats, because mm-hmm. I don't wear the same weight of hat two days in a row almost ever in winter, because my head's sensitive to heat. I wear whatever I'm going to wear for that day's temperature and they don't, I'm not going to buy 10 different weighted Bluetooth hats that have speakers in them. So I think that the jaw bone conducting headphones will be the only way, because otherwise whatever you have in your ears, you put a hat over the top of it and it eventually ju- it just squeezes and it presses into my ear and it hurts. Mm-hmm. So
1: what is that? What is a bone connecting bone conducting? Con- it's bone conduction
0: that? technology. It bone vibrates conduct- against your bone and you can hear it. In your head,
1: the hell is that?
0: It's witchcraft. What is that sorcery? But it sits down here, so you can fully it. hear everything. But you also hear it inside your head. Jack Bauer swears what's by
1: them. Am, am I like? Am I? Have I been living under a rock? Do yeah. You no, know, this is a common.
0: Yeah the the, the common one was aftershocks. Okay. I think it's just called shocks now. But the um, they, you've probably seen them the around. Really I guess maybe I. I oh, what's the price point on those? I mean you can get a good one for like 120 bucks, 100 bucks. Oh. Hmm. So that'll when these die, awesome. that'll be the next thing I get. And then for cycling it's great. Hmm. Okay. Um
1: Let's see. Is it my turn? Could be anyone's turn. We make the rules around here. I'm working on one. If you have another one go.
0: Okay, game changing for me was hybrid training, compromised running, adding in strength-based components to my run programming made me a stronger, better athlete. More bang for my buck off the mileage I do have, uh, strengthening the second half of my races, compromised running, which then led to hybrid-based training, was an absolute game-changer for me.
1: Top three things hybrid training has done for your fitness.
0: Uh, It's given me staying power in races. It's made me more able to absorb pieces on course that break your stride break your rhythm climbs descents technical running uh, rhythm breakers surges things like that and i guess the third would be it's improved my downhill because many of the pieces to that work your rear chain and as my hips and glutes got stronger my downhill improved and i'm going to add a fourth you didn't ask for a fourth everything else is comparatively better feeling when you're not compromised or doing something hybrid flat running is really fatiguing, but it's a different type of fatigue. It's the difference between running track and running the final five K of a triathlon, like coming out of transition is a different type of bad and it makes regular running feel comparatively better.
1: I agree with that. I mean, if it's just for that alone, there's power in that perceived exertion, whatever Mm -hmm. word you want to use. Um, I agree with that. By the way, the compromise bit holding its place. The durability piece is what sticks for me the most. Like, just like, hey, my legs normally take a shit on me forty minutes into my ten k, and now I'm f- getting through the ten k and realize I'm not taking the structural damage. Like something about just the durability to impact resistance to fatigue. It's, mm-hmm. Like just even if it doesn't make you any faster, it makes you be able to extend out what you're able to do for longer. Because yeah of how the body responds to it.
0: And I think part of it is you can do longer workouts with the same amount of volume. And we'll talk about this in next week's training Tuesday, I believe. But if you take a 30 to 40 minute threshold run and you split it up into five minute threshold intervals, you're still getting 30 to 40 minutes of work in, but you're taking 60 to 90 seconds in between. So you've only extended the duration of the time spent from the start to the end of the workout by five or seven minutes. But if you put in a compromising movement in there, two to five minutes of work before every single rep, by the end of the workout, you've gone 25 to 50% longer in the workout. So that the last 10 minutes of the threshold work is still only a total of 30 to 40 minutes of threshold, but it's happening 60 minutes into the workout. So you're running on 60 minutes of fatigue in your body, but you're not doing any more run volume. And I think that's part of the staying power piece is I'm used to running threshold after 60 minutes when you don't get that in a normal workout. I think that's an overlooked piece for some people is just the duration of the workout you can do.
1: You bring up a really good point. Um, And now you have me thinking. So I still think if I had to pick one one compromised uh, or hybrid workout, it would be OCR mile repeats. You call Mm -hmm. them OCR 400s, the same thing. But sure, okay, I'm going to go do five-by-a-mile standard workout. Let's say I'm running them just for sake of math. Uh, i using my own metrics. Roughly around five minutes, okay? Five-by-a-mile at five minutes is 25 minutes of work, mm-hmm. give or take roughly, right? Well, I use that same logic. Okay, I do five-mile repeats, so I would do five-by-OCR-mile repeats. Because I do five-by-a-mile, why don't I do five-by-OCR-mile repeats? Well, on a good day, I'm circa day seven minutes for an OCR-mile repeat. That's two more minutes of work each rep. That's ten more minutes of work total. I just took a workout that I get twenty-five minutes of quality, and now it's thirty-five minutes of quality. Without even batting an eyelash, I got ten more minutes of work in. That's systemic, stay power, energy type, energy system type work. That like it's just dawning on me right now. Like there might be power to that in itself. Just time spent uh, in working metabolic systems. Like holy smokes. Ten more minutes, just shifting over that same workout to a compromised fashion.
0: Without taking a single extra step.
1: Correct. So
0: there's – I like that. Mm -hmm.
1: Having a revelation.
0: The other – when I was rebuilding after one of the surgeries, I was doing thousands on the treadmill until I was ready to be done, then hopping off and doing the rest of them on the rower. And then sometimes I'd feel better and I'd hop back on and do another thousand or two. So instead of doing 10 by 1,000, I was doing 6 by 1,000, 3 by 1,000 on the rower, and then 2 by 1,000. But those final 2 by 1,000 happened another 15 or 20 minutes after the workout would normally be done, but with extra fatigue. So I did less total reps, but I've never run a 1,000-meter rep 70 minutes after I did the first 1,000-meter rep. So there's just, there's some endurance component to, like we talk about the, that magic zone of you get past 60 minutes and from 60 to 90 minutes, those 30 minutes are worth like 60 minutes in themselves because every step is taken yeah. in a more compromised stay. Well, The same thing happens with these hybrid workouts. You're taking quality workout steps. Mm-hmm. 20 to 30 minutes later in a workout than you normally would be able to handle a quality workout step. It's
1: a good refresher for me to hear. And I agree with you. I could we, We've done episodes and episodes yeah. on compromised running in the value, especially for an OCR athlete. But I think it bleeds into other domains as well. Yeah, I do too. Um, all right. I got one. Maybe this will seem cheap. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Okay like a cop-out answer uh, for a guy who hosts a podcast, but (laughs) I don't know where I would be with my running and competing right now if we didn't start this thing three and a half years ago. I, believe it or not, I don't really think about running very much. And before this, I didn't talk about it very much. I didn't have a crew. I was a lone wolf out here training on my own. What do I think about? I think about getting outside. I think about my next deer hunting spot or my next fishing trip, I think about clients at the gym and my athletes. But what I don't really think and talk about a lot is running. Um, Or at least I didn't until we started this. And I've explored and grown as a runner exponentially more in the last three and a half years with you and being able to just bring myself back to center twice a week than I ever have at any period of time in my life. And what I'm getting at is a lot of us don't have networks to just talk running, just explore, just pick each other's brains and go back and forth and have a chance to chat, talk about yourself to others who also probably want to talk about themselves too because it's nice to get those things out there when it comes to our running because we all care so deeply about our own running. And so um, what I'm getting at is... Talking about running, having somebody to talk about it with and the nuances along has made me a better runner by proxy, like by some secondhand way of just being exposed. It's brought my brain more back to center thinking about running, getting innovative, trying new things, committing to something and sticking with it, picking a race and going for it. I don't think I would be, I don't know where I'd be, but it wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you and these chats and with our guests. And so... I think a lot of you out there listening don't really have anybody to just chat about running with, like have a pen pal or a chat buddy, somebody that you can just bullshit with about where the conversation takes you's been very powerful um for me and I know that so much has changed about my training philosophies and my own running since I've been able to talk about it every week and bring it front and center. And I don't know what if that means anything to anybody or not, but for me, like this is really good for me and my running, what we do here but selfishly. So I, I think some of you out there don't have that, and I see a big benefit in that, being able to do this together. So finding somebody to just talk running with, nerd out a little bit. It's
0: been helpful. That is the sweetest thing anyone said to me this week, but I, I can this echo just, that. Uh, from a, go ahead. Yeah?
1: Oh, it has nothing to do with you, Breck, and it's just you're the body that <sighs> takes the place. These t- no, I'm yeah. kidding. It,
0: it has a lot to do with you, of course. That's how I feel about my coaching. Everything because as everyone knows I had nothing but struggles with my running throughout this. In fact, early on in one of our first in one of our first few months of doing this, I announced I was getting my first knee surgery. Like this has been a part of my re- <laughs> like my degradation as a runner. But I feel that I can coach better than I've ever coached because I'm constantly forced to defend what I think. And think about other mm. things. And so many times I get on here and I talk to you, and as I'm talking, I just realize I was wrong about this last week. But I we're talking mm. about it again, and I'm going to be more refined about it this week. And it's been super, super helpful for me from that standpoint.
1: Mm. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, I would totally see that. Uh, and another thing about that is um, I'd say a third of my athletes elect to have a monthly call with me where we just look each other in the eyes and mm-hmm. chat, and then two-thirds don't. They don't pay the extra money and they don't maybe see a value in it or they don't want to. But like, even if we don't get anything accomplished, like I'm not gonna change your life in a thirty minute call, but is it your only chance to just talk about running like that month? Like mm-hmm. just to to feed the beast a little bit? Like you say with your athletes, sometimes like you may have a, a chat and you may not you may barely get to their training, but you're like chatting, who knows what you're chatting about, but like I don't think we get to do it as much as we would like to. Right. And I, I think there's just power in conversating about it, right? Um, and I don't know. I just noticed that as well, like just thinking about who I believe would benefit from this. I feel like most people aren't lucky enough to have, like, let's say them and their spouse runs. And they can at right. least commiserate over it. Or they have their best friend. Like most people I think are like... You and I like I'm out in just outside of the city, and I roll out of bed and I get into my shoes and I go for a run I don't talk about it with anybody other than you and if I didn't have you on this podcast i I think the experience would start and stop when my run started, and my run stopped, mm-hmm. and now it doesn't have to and so that's all it's, it's good to chat out you you grow more that way
0: you do yeah you're yeah, the people around you mm-hmm. dictate how high I think you can reach, and having the guests on that I agree. Even if they're not trying to challenge us, their experiences, their principles, their philosophies challenge us to constantly refine what we believe. And that's really, really powerful. We have the opportunity to speak to so many incredible people that we never would have the opportunity to do if we didn't have a podcast. We wouldn't meet most of these people. We wouldn't run into them in normal life, and so we'd never be able to accrue these experiences, even just listening to exceptional people talk.
1: I don't know about you, but like when I listen to podcasts, I'm a big podcast listener. I listen to something probably every day, either a commute or on a run or something. I absorb maybe like a quarter of what I'm listening to, like something will stick maybe. But Mm -hmm. when you're the person having the conversation or we're doing the interview and your brain has to really be engaged, like you've got to think two steps ahead, but also respond to what the guest has said. I think I absorb a lot more in having a conversation about it. Like for, I learn more from our guests than if I were to just listen to that guest episode, like all our listeners do just listen to it. They're going to miss things and plug in things. But I think it just, it sinks in more deeply when you're the one having the conversation.
0: Do you agree with that? I do. And from my perspective as the one who edits the podcast, I hear most, much, much of what they say twice. And so it drives oh, sure. home thing, things that I thought during, or it announces things I missed the first time around. So I'm lucky from that standpoint. And I don't listen to every word. How often? But how often
1: do you miss? Like out of curiosity, now, like maybe I am missing things. Like how often do you miss something that was important while they're talking? Because you're too busy worrying about your next question, or you know what I mean. We have our own thought processes as our guests are talking. We're starting to get ahead of. Not
0: nearly as much anymore. With with, I think part of we've developed. I don't know how good we are at it, but we've developed the capacity to be able to relax and listen rather than have to be planning ahead. I think early on, at least for me, it was, I'd listen, I'd hear what they're saying, and I'd be thinking about what I need to say next. And now it's just like, you listen to it Mm -hmm. and you sit there and you think about it and then you can react to it. That just being comfortable in that protocol. It was very interesting going over Mm -hmm. to this local high school where I was helping with this group of kids who was trying to start up their podcast. And doing a few sessions with them and some practice podcasts. Seeing the beginning of that, where you have your list of questions and you ask one. And you're really waiting for them to finish so that you can ask the next one. And early on, we had our own growing pains with that process. To the point where we don't bring a single thing to the table anymore. We may have some things we'd like to get to. But it's just ideas floating in the air. That's it because we, we can finally stay in the moment and just listen and then react to it. That was very helpful. So these days I'd, I don't miss nearly as much as I, back in the day, I'd, I did a podcast and think I missed 60% of what this person was saying because I was so concerned about asking a good question next. As soon as I stopped mm-hmm. caring what I was going to ask next, next and just followed my own curiosity, I think I got a lot more effective as a co-host.
1: Yeah, I was cleaning. This is a couple, maybe a couple months ago. Um, I don't think I've written any prep down. Like, what's the person's name, age, of some highlights about them? I haven't written anything down, I'm going to say, since sometime year one. So it's been like three years, yeah. two and a half, three years since I've written a thing down. But I came across my old notebook mm. that I prepped with. And uh, I tore out all the pages and actually threw them away. And I probably shouldn't have. But page one was Hobie Call. Uh, and it was his list of accomplishments, questions I want to ask him. And then the next page, Carrie Tollefson, her accomplishments, what I wanted to ask. Next page, like Ryan Kempson, list of things. Like all of these people. It was just this whole notebook full of like my research. And now we'll go and we'll research a guest, of course. Maybe I'll have a website pulled up in the background or some mental notes I make. But just seems like... Yeah, you're able to be more present if you're not worried about your script. Mm -hmm. I agree with you on that. But anyways, I don't know. Did I do the wrong thing by throwing those notebooks, those pages out? I tore them out, and I was like, I don't have these anymore. I tossed them. No. Okay. I don't know if they had a place
0: in (laughs) anybody's heart or not. Oh, maybe someone would have paid for them. Mm. We're off the rails now. But there there was this realization I had a long – probably like two years ago now, maybe more, where it – I don't remember how I got here, but this, it was this aha moment where I realized the topic that every single person knows the most about is themselves, like full stop. No matter what your area of expertise is, you know about more about yourself than you do that area of expertise because you've lived with yourself every second of your life. And so who am I to think that I can come in with this list of thought-provoking questions that's going to take you to a better place than you can take me about yourself? Like I can kick the Mm. ball off and get it rolling with one statement or one question, and it doesn't have to be thought-provoking. All it has to do is get you to the point where you're comfortable and relaxed enough to talk about the thing that you are the world's preeminent expert about, which is yourself. And that was such a helpful realization mm-hmm. that, no, there's no stress to this. If anything, we are just like, a, we're a beer for these people. We're a shot. Like We're just here to loosen up the flow a little bit, get them relaxed, and then stand back and let them go. Because no one on earth knows them better than they do. So stay out of the way. That was, that was so helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And I talk so much on Training Tuesday. And I talk so much on Race Brain. In our guest interviews, they need to be... The leader, because
1: it's them. What if they're the quiet type? What if you get a guess that they might need two drinks? Doesn't go with it? like a, it's like a first date where like nobody's returning the conversation. I know it's been a while for you. It's been a while for me now too. But um, you know, then then it, then you might want your list of questions as a backup. You never you never know.
0: Without but saying we names.
1: lucky we lucky
0: with without okay. saying yeah. names. How many times have you felt that way on an interview? Now we this is, I think. 356. I think this is our 356th episode, something like that, which means half of those roughly are interviews. So let's just call it let's call it 175 interviews. Out of 175, how many times have you felt really awkward or stumped with how to open a guest up?
1: How to op- uh, Wait, that, that, really zero? Okay. Like truly, like that was tough. I would say maybe some fringe interviews, maybe a half a dozen at most. But what happens in those is then we go back and listen to it and we're like, oh, it wasn't nearly like, Mm -hmm. it it wasn't what my perception was at the time. It was way more conversative or something like that. I felt
0: truly awkward three times. Hmm. One of them was my fault. I don't remember if it was COVID or I was really, really, really overtired or what, but I was in a fog and I was having a difficult time even like forming words. I, like when, when you are on, let's say, your first date with someone, you sit there and go, uh, so what do you like? Like, that's what my the brain, brain felt work. like. It just wasn't working. But the other two, I felt really uncomfortable with two individuals, one of whom I think was nervous. And listening back, the interview was great. It just felt awkward because we could see the individual's face and they looked uncomfortable. And then the other one I think was that truly awkward interview mm-hmm. i think there's only one and even that person opened up after a while so i don't think we've yet run into someone yeah, so who just wouldn't open up
1: i'm sure people's wheels are spinning like who who were these people and my wheels are spinning and the funny thing is like i not like one sole person jumps out at me in any any type of way in the fact where i would So like i'm having a hard time even knowing who i'm you're gonna say about it and, it I, and I, edit the, the name
0: out just to, so that you know who i'm talking about no
1: don't do it Oh well, That was That
0: was pulling teeth for a little
1: yeah, bit. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's tough. God. Again, you better remember to edit this out. I'm going to. Should we I think we I think we're done. You think I we're think done? we're done being productive. I All think right. it's over. It's over for me. And <laughs> then, I, do you have one? I have
0: I have two in there. They can be short. Hydration okay. waste I'm packs. Done. were a game changer for me. Yeah. I cannot stop thinking about a vest the entire time it's on. But the right hydration waste pack Is just a game changer for me because paired with that, a game changer was going to liquid nutrition during races. So now I can run Mm. without being just totally distracted by what I'm carrying. And then the second thing, Swiftwick socks were a game changer for me. They're just, Mm. I don't worry about my feet anymore, ever.
1: Well, you turned me on to the waist belt in which we'll be wearing together Saturday. And I Mm -hmm. wear it on all my long runs. Going back to a vest sounds horrible. And I wear Swiftwick socks because of you. So, uh, I second your motions. All right. You sure don't want to wedge anything else in there? You're usually good for like that was one it? more thing.
0: Let's go get married. Okay.
1: <laughs> Let's go get married. What are you wearing? Ho, ho,
0: ho. You just wait and I mean, see.
1: What are you wearing? You don't know yet. That's exactly what that is. <laughs> like.
0: Undecided. It's going to be a game time decision. Okay. I'm going to pack All like right. I'm packing for a race.
1: Overpacking?
0: Bunch of shoe options. I don't know what you do but with outfits. Okay. Okay. All right. I got a pair
1: of running shoes. I think I could pull off with my wardrobe if I had to, I'm not going to, but I could. What are they? Well, there's some, cause I'm getting married outdoors. They're like a really black and gray, uh, old pair of, uh, new balances. I have, I don't run hmm. in, I like, kick around in and they're just dark enough and just low profile enough. where like, we'll be in the grass outside. Like, people probably wouldn't think much of it. I'm not. I got my sh- just polished my shoes yesterday. I have this old pair of brown leather shoes and I bought some shoe polish cuz they need they need a spit shine and came home from work yesterday, shine my shoes for me. Put the old leather treatment on them. What a what a wow. bride.
0: Are you going gray or blue or something for your your tux? I'm I'm blue. I'm blue, blue navy. Very nice.
1: No tux. I don't have a I don't have a suit coat. I'm not it's outside. I'm not wearing a suit coat.
0: Vest, um, suspenders and bow tie.
1: Yeah, you got it. We know each All other. Nady. brown shoes, yeah.
0: This time tomorrow, we are going to be together.
1: Unbelievable. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight.
0: Are you okay if I just wear a suit coat over the top of a running public shirt?
1: Yeah, I would prefer it, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Although I'm a little concerned, and we do need to wrap, but uh, storms, it looks like storms are still on, it's Thursday <laughs> afternoon, and they're still telling us that rain's coming in and out on Saturday afternoon. I'll bring my it's Houdini. It's been dry as a bone here in your Houdini. Oh, Game Changer Houdini. Let's end on that. There we are. Alright, guys. Thank you for listening. We will be back, per usual, next week.